0: It's loud, it's obnoxious, but it's relevant. It's Dr. CarCast with your host, Dan Lacey. Uh, welcome back to Dr. CarCast. I'm your host, Dan Lacey. Great to have you back with us, and we are wanting to give you an update on EVs. Now, it's been six, nine months since we did a seven-part series with a couple of little follow-ups on the backside of that about EVs. If you want to go back and look at those at drcarcast.com or Spotify, Google, Amazon, you can find those as well. The emphasis that I want to put on EVs right now is where status-wise we are in the States. Now, some of the information is global and that's that's good it gives us an understanding of where we are globally but it also puts more the imperative nature of where we are here now i have been the podcast host also and an editor of a site in oregon called oregontollingupdates.com and i i don't say that to to throw you that direction i say that only to emphasize that i too have been steeped in some stuff that's automotive-related regarding tolls, regarding infrastructure, how things are working, what works, what doesn't work, and the political side of things. And I I told you all a long time ago when we first started the show off that I hate politics, and I hate them even more now. It's uh, it's an interesting route dealing with tolling that is coming towards Oregon, that is tolling of the highways. And what that means to the uh, general public um, and to the households and businesses around us. And mostly the businesses is what we're, we're uh, going after or looking at as far as the impact on those. So that said, uh, that's where a lot of my time has gone. In addition to being your host here on Dr. CarCast. And it is with my full intent and desire to be your host here on Dr. CarCast in a more forthright manner and one which gets you educated and gets you uh, some good information uh, throughout the year. So here's the update on EVs. Uh, I'm going to go through a timeline and the timeline is specific to information and a flow that I find very intriguing. It has a story that flows and if we are ones that really believe that we can predict the future effectively by what has been going on in the industry, then the future looks very interesting. It looks, I would say, bleak in my perspective. Maybe you'll see it differently, but let's get on with it. In April of 2023, there was an article put out that demand for EVs was booming and sales were expected to be up 35%. Now that number is globally Globally up 35%. Uh, by the way, China, if you didn't know this, is the number one producer of EVs in the world. They've kind of kicked our tail end. Uh, also in April, the U.S. Energy Information Administration released their annual energy outlook for 2023, and it stated that BEVs and PHEVs, that's battery EVs and plug-in hybrids will account for 13 to 29% of light-duty vehicle sales in 2050. I'm still trying to clarify that number because that 13 to 29% pales to the number that is being touted by the government that says that everything is going to be BEV or PHEV by 2035. Everything is supposed to be sold that way, right? There's not going to be any gas vehicles available. And they're saying only 13 to 29% will be the light duty in vehicle sales in 2050. They say also there's significant uncertainties uh, which are inherent to projecting the rate at which electric vehicles will become more common. Some of the important variables are future policies, including emissions and fuel economy regulations, as well as vehicle sale mandates on combustion engines or combustion engines. In other words, whether they're there or not. Uh, Disruptive technology advancements, Think hydrogen or maybe something else that will take over EVs. And there's a lot of people behind the curtains that are saying other technologies will disrupt EVs. Um, Availability and access to refueling infrastructure, uh, consumer attitudes and behaviors, along with critical mineral supply chains. Along the same time, there was another study that came up with an interesting stat. California, Washington, and Oregon are the top three in shares of EVs. In other words, they have the biggest percentage of EVs in their state. Now, those three states are among the lowest in raising their share of EVs over the past five years. That states that things are a bit stagnant as far as growth, and there's concern in that. Now, fast forward to June 28th, there's an article we reported on in the news stating that. Millions, that's 28 million, of charging ports were going to be needed by 2030, and they need to be funded by public and private capital. The cost? 53 to $127 billion. I don't know why the wide gap, but that's what they state. This is to support 33 million EVs by 2030. Uh, FYI, currently there's 2.4 million EVs as of quarter one in 2023. Also, the split up in the 28 million is 1.2 million in public and highway chargers and 26.8 million in private homes and workplaces. So there's the split. Uh, The government's talking about 500,000 in place by 2030, but it's going to take some public and private capital to get the rest of those 700,000 out on the public highways. Now, in 7 6, that's July 6th, there's a lot of money being put in Tennessee. Georgia, Michigan, and other states, the Carolinas, where battery producers are starting to build up. Manufacturers of EVs are starting to build up. California, New York, and Colorado were the top three with investment monies taken from the government. Kansas, Georgia, and Iowa are at the bottom, and Iowa has no money that they've taken from the federal government for EV incentives. So the comment that states and battery belts lack EV incentives is because of a lack of money, that's not the problem. There's money for plants and workers, and there's money for states to give EV incentives, but a lot of these states have not done that. 7-Eleven, there is an article released, slower selling EVs are a new headache for dealers. The US EV market is growing, but not fast enough during the latest quarter to prevent unsold EVs from stacking up at some automakers, dealerships, and Tesla. To avoid price cuts so tesla answers by saying we're going to cut the price down and the dealerships are saying hey we, we've got to do something here as well and currently the seven percent market share level that we have been trying to reach i say we the automakers uh, has become more costly and difficult than expected uh, even with federal and state subsidies also in this automakers have billions in ev investments and they're hoping that they don't have to start slashing prices or slowing down assembly lines. Let me give you an example. Ford, GM, Hyundai, and Toyota have more than 90 days worth of unsold EVs at their stores. That's currently, as of this July 7th article, obviously. GM said in the statement that it has a very low inventory and a high demand. But the problem is that they have a high demand for the vehicles they haven't produced enough of yet. So there's a back order at times or vehicles are in transition to the customer, and there's very low inventory on everything else. GM has a goal, by the way, of selling 100,000 EVs in North America during the second half of this year. Ford had 86 days worth of F-150 Lightnings and 113 days worth of Mustang Mach-E electric crossovers on hand. That's according to Cox Automotive. A Ford spokesman said Cox figures overstate the inventory available at dealerships. But get this, Ford built 46,000-plus Mach-Es during the first half of this year and only sold 14,000 of the midsize crossovers. Also, Ford cut prices for the Mach-E models in May. See the pattern here? Volkswagen dealers had 131 days' worth of ID.4 electric crossovers in inventory, now, some state that they wanted the four wheel drive instead of the two wheel drive, and that's why they have the overabundance of vehicles. Legacy automakers are also losing money on most of their electric models. Tesla price cuts have happened. Competitive responses have uh, pushed down with those Tesla price cuts the EV prices for the second quarter to $53,000 on average. Just a quarter ago, they were up at sixty-six thousand. So prices are coming down. Seven seventeen. Production is up, as are EV inventories. Over one hundred and ten days, I mentioned this just a minute ago. Now, we it <laughs> here's, here's another side note on inventories. Now, while GM says their inventory numbers are wrong, Ford has stated that. Their inventories are not high, but they just lowered the cost of their F-150 Lightning $10,000 on average per model. This was a vehicle that came out really inexpensively and then it went up $10,000. It went up another $10,000. I can't remember if there was a third increase, but the bottom line is they've dropped it now to get rid of vehicles. And why do I say to get rid of vehicles? Because of this stat. They just closed the Rogue, Electric Vehicle Center in Dearborn, Michigan for expansion. Why? Because that expansion will allow for an annual production of 150,000 F-150 EV trucks. Currently, in 2023, they've sold just shy of 9,000 of these F-150 Lightning pickups. That is uh, of the end of May. They're expected to sell 22,000 annually, yet they're gearing up to sell 150,000 next year. Also on 717, dealers are waiting for chargers because they can't sell EVs. That is that there are dealers that cannot receive EVs from the manufacturer unless they are able to charge them. And the problem is that a lot of these dealerships are so antiquated that they don't have the facility to be able to handle EV chargers. There are some dealerships waiting six months to a year before they can get an EV charger in their facility. Also this, with the dealers waiting for chargers, Uh, Cox Automotive reports that only 31% of dealers feel EVs will replace gas engines over time. And despite these concerns though, over 50% of those dealerships see selling and servicing EVs as important to growth. And then one last thing here in this note, over half of the dealers aren't even prepared for EVs. Also in 717, EV registrations that are starting to cool for some brands. Hot EV brands from last year like Ford, Kia, and Lucid are now cooling as Tesla continues to sell six out of every 10 EVs. The key issue remains affordability for buyers, that EVs carry a higher average price, and gasoline counterparts are about $55,000. Okay, same day, a different story One stated that the average price was about $53,000 now for EVs and gasoline engine counterparts are $55,000 on average. While the EV is rapidly increasing in consideration, there's a gap between that and sales. One other note here for Ford. In 2022, their Mach-E registrations grew by 50%. They sold a little over 38,000 vehicles. But the first five months of 2023, their sales have dropped almost 30%. They're looking to sell about 26,000 in 2023. So now let's go to July of 2023. GM is to produce more segments at lower cost. The Cadillac Lyric, the Hummer EV, and other high-end items have been at the focal point for GM because they get more money for those vehicles. Those vehicles priced somewhere in the 80 to $110,000 range per vehicle. And GM also has this new Ultium platform that they're going to use on lower cost vehicles like the Chevy Bolt, which three weeks earlier to this, they canceled. So why would they cancel the Bolt? One of the best-selling EVs for Chevy, economical, lower price than uh, most things out there, about thirty-five dollars to $37,000. Well, they canceled it. But two days later from the previous comment about selling at lower costs and more segments that GM made. In 725, the Chevy Bolt, which got sidelined, is stated to come back. They didn't state when, but they need a lower priced vehicle in their line. That's my summation. And that's going to be happening, I would suspect, shortly with this new Ultium platform, which uh, gives some flexibility to what you're building and how you're building it. Also in July, GM reported a 52% surge in Q2 net income. That's a huge surge, huge. And they've really been cutting back on things. But guess what? Their stock went down 3.2%. So I can't tell you what that exactly means. I just find it interesting that you give great news and your stock drops. And by the way, uh, as of yesterday, it was even lower. Now, I'll circle back to 720. Because here's one more thing I think on the EV market that's extremely important. We talk about adaptation and we mention how people of all economic ranges need to be involved in the EV race here in order to make things, make a difference in the United States. Whether it's for the ecology, whether it's for carbon emissions, peace of mind. So many different things out there, and and trust me, with all my other research that I've been doing, it blows my mind of how words change meaning depending on who's using them. So I'm just going to say this. People want to get rid of gas-powered vehicles. And I understand the carbon footprint, but they want people in EVs. And they want to start selling nothing but EVs by 2035. Uh, I've heard the number 50% of the vehicles coming off the line by 2030 are supposed to be EVs. And I will put one disclaimer in here that nobody, nobody says they'll mention PHEVs and they'll mention hybrids uh, in the same sentence with BEVs, but hybrids and PHEVs have gasoline-powered engines in them. You're not getting away from the gasoline. So this happens, July 20th, and... I think this is probably one of the most telling things about getting people into an expensive vehicle when they don't have the ability to do so. The story came out there was a rejection rate for auto loans that hit an all-time high. Previously, it had been 9%. It is now at 14.2%. And in a conversation with my local bank here in Tualatin, Oregon, I was told that the number I'm going to throw at you is is probably off a little bit. They think it's higher. But they're saying over one in five for automotive loans. They're not being given the credit they're asking for. And it's across all ages, which really shocked me. Um, And it's highest with those that have a credit score below 680. There's concerns about delinquencies. 5% delinquency rate right now over 90 days. And 39% 39% of the banks are planning on tightening, lending even more between now and the end of 2023. When I when I called my my bank the other day, I said, okay, if the loan amount is such and such and such and such, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, said, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, 5%, 6%. So I went online and I looked up the average loan percentage across the United States. And I checked a couple of sites and that number was between 9%, and 17%. I had been dialing in 5% and was coming up with some staggering numbers, I thought, for, for a loan rate. I was also putting in 72 months. There are some banks that will go out 84, and there's some banks that are even doing and considering 96, but they're getting really tight on who they put those loans out for. Now, let me dial back and tell you that my bank said, realistically, you're looking at 7 to 8%. And you might be able to do a little better if you've got a really high credit rating over 750 or so. And then they also stated this, that the rate really does go up rapidly if your credit rating is low. So here's a number I put in my calculator when I was doing this. 7%, a $36,000 car. I want cheap EV, cheap EV, like a Chevy Bolt. Uh, And then I took and put a 10% deposit on it. And at six percent, depending on if you're adding fees or whatnot, I put fees in there, but you're basically between five and six hundred bucks a month for an EV. And you're locked in for 72 months. So six years. And if you're an individual that's making fifty thousand dollars or less, that number becomes pretty much unobtainable. You're living in an apartment, you're probably paying over a thousand bucks a month, and you're probably more like fifteen to two thousand dollars a month. You've got a grocery bill, you've got medical bills, you've got just traveling around town bills, gasoline and everything else, and now you're supposed to come up with 500 to $600 extra money. Remember, I'm on the low end here, on interest and on some. Uh, cheap vehicle. Most vehicles these days, I had a friend that pulled me aside and said, you know what the EV's costing? I said, yeah, you're, you're fifty five, dollars $60,000. Uh, and that's the mean price. He said, yeah, I looked at one and it was 45000 $50,000. He was just floored. And this is a guy of some, some means. So where does this all lead with the EV market right now? The industry believes that we're in a little bit of a lull here and that things will pick up, that spending will start happening again. By the way, this is being recorded and posted on a day when the feds are, are rumored to raise the rate in literally, well, 11 minutes ago, raise the interest rate a quarter percent. So putting a, a tightening on inflation will people continue to spend more will they be able to spend more would they or could they even afford a 35 to forty-five thousand dollar vehicle whether gas or electric and the industry is nervous i know it's nervous by the press releases i know it's nervous by seeing what's out there on the streets and they're wondering what's going to happen remember there's a mandate there's a mandate for the manufacturers to sell and have in their repertoire coming off the assembly lines 50% of the vehicles offered have to be EVs. That's, again, battery-operated, plug-in hybrids or hybrids. Here's my take. I think they're in a whole lot worse hurt than they think they are. There are 93,000, as of a couple of weeks ago, 93,000 EVs sitting on lots right now that are not sold. Production has ramped up. Production is exceeding purchase right now and it's an interesting market it is grandiose for a purchaser if they even want to buy anything but that's my other thought is like California, Washington and Oregon those states they have not continued that building of EVs in their state percentage wise and there's a slowing the early adopters have gotten in but the people that don't have the money the people that don't have the resources the the people that the government needs to embrace this new technology and and take hold of it and use it in order to justify all this bit of money they've put out there, oh my goodness, I I, I don't see it happening. Oh, I, I forgot one other thing. In mentioning the infrastructure at the very beginning of all this, the EV chargers are not out there yet. And people still don't want to go long distances that that fear of going too far out of your range and your ability to charge is still there. I was on the road recently. I only went 150 miles away and I saw very few EVs on the road. Very few. I don't think that EVs are bad. I, I started off a year ago saying that I didn't like them. And I, I still don't. My point is this. They haul the mail. They do well. They handle well. But we're doing too much too fast. We're not ready. And the other thing is, guess what the average consumer drives in an EV daily? It's 37 miles. That's the average range they drive. And so they don't want it for the road. They want it for the city. It's a great city car. It's a great opportunity there as well. That's the doctor's take. I really believe things are going to get really interesting in the next quarter or two, especially by uh, November, December. And where it takes things, I don't know. I really, truly don't know. But if we financially do not have the ability to take on that which the government is putting in front of us, we will not adopt to EVs. You know, I, I'd like to close out my episodes with um, the glove box. And Lord knows I don't do things right all the time. That's for sure. And this this book, Ecclesiastes, is a uh, is a great one to, to go to and to realize, yeah, what, what's real and what's not. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, it's the last two verses of this book, it says this, The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person, because God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. That's talking about life. I take that one to heart. My name, Daniel, means God is my judge. We all think we know what the future holds, and... We all think that we can control that. We can't. We want to, but we can't. And even those in power can't because they struggle amongst themselves, right? And bring us all into it. I love how that works. But I know this. God's got a plan and we need to fear him. We need to obey him. And he will get us through all these things that we sometimes fear when we shouldn't because our fear should be in him, not in the things around us. I'm your host, Dan Lacey. Thanks for being with us. Remember, you can catch us on Spotify, Google, Amazon, also at Dr. Carcast at drcarcast.com. We will be back soon.